0: There's a reason
1: television shows about lawyers have been around for decades. We love the drama of the trial scenes. It's all about the gasps when that surprise witness enters the courtroom or when that one piece of evidence puts the killer away for life. What it means is game over for
0: one side or the other. And that's not much different than real life murder trials. Not at all.
1: Murder weapons, testimony, or DNA can make or break a case. Today, we're
0: counting down the most pivotal pieces of murder trial evidence ever. The things from each of these cases changed the game dramatically.
1: Hey all you weirdos, welcome to Crime Countdown, a Spotify original from ParCast. I'm Ash. And I'm Elena.
0: Every week we'll highlight 10 fascinating stories of history's most engaging and
1: unsettling crimes, all picked by the ParCast research gods. In this episode, we're counting down the top 10 pieces of game-changing murder trial evidence. The first thing that I think about when I saw this was how stubborn
0: I am. And yeah, how much I like to be right, because I was like, oh, that must feel so good. You like to be right? Yeah, I can admit that I definitely have a stubborn streak when it comes to proving I'm right. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone's going <laughs> to argue against To say that. the
1: least. But the thing is,
0: I'm always right. Yep, I knew that was coming. Is it really stubborn, or is it just the reality that everyone else has not cut up to yet? I say the latter. Okay.
1: Okay. Yeah. Like for that very reason, that, <laughs> like that whole diatribe, that's why I had to come to terms with the fact that I will not always be right. Very early. <laughs> like quite rarely, in fact, Yeah. you know, yeah. Like you are very smart. Yeah. Thank you. I feel like I would make a good lawyer, but really
0: only in the television way. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'd like to study things, but I really don't want to study laws and writs about, like, real estate no. and land and all that. But I would really love the gotcha moment. Yeah, you would,
1: for I sure. Would. I get that. I do. I really love when I'm right about something, too, because, like, nothing feels better than being able to pull up those receipts oh, and yeah. just, like, drive your point home. Oh, yeah. Because then you get that, like, ha moment. And who doesn't love a ha
0: moment. (laughs) I love aha,
1: but the people that don't love aha are the people that are wrong. Very true. Correct. (laughs) And I'm willing to bet that I would be right if I said there's probably a couple people on this list that were wrong. Look at that. You're right. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Well, Elena has five such people and so do I, but neither of us knows who the other person has on their list. Let's start the countdown. I'll start us off with our first pieces of evidence at number 10, convicted killer Stephen Avery's blood. Stephen Avery is the subject of the Netflix docuseries Making a Murderer. He was convicted and sentenced for the 2005 killing of Teresa Halbach because his blood was found in the victim's car. But the question raised is whether the blood was planted in order to frame him. That case. That case will mess you right yeah, up. It blows your brain. So in 1985, Avery was convicted of sexually assaulting another woman, and he served 18 years. That's a lot of years. Many. Then he was exonerated when DNA in the case matched another man. That makes me so sick. They were like, we did you real wrong. Sorry, you spent 18 years in jail for no reason. And in 2003, he was like, you're about to be really sorry because he sued Manitowoc County in Wisconsin for $36 million. Wow. Including the police officers involved in his case. He sued them too. I mean, who I don't can blame, blame him? him? I don't blame him. But then they were like, oh, ha!" We're going to get you now because in game. 2005, Avery was arrested and charged with the murder of Teresa Halbach when his blood was found in her car. E. But it's like, was it placed there because like revenge plot? On, I was going to say. Because the county was like, we didn't want you to sue us. I mean, 36 million is a lot. I know. So the vial of Avery's blood from the previous sexual assault case is the evidence in question. Ooh. I guess a small hole was found on the lid of the vial. Ooh, it's like, why would you need was to do a that? syringe stuck in there? Well, a nurse claimed that she made this hole in that lid, actually, and that it was a typical way to fill a test tube. OK, but it's like, I don't know. And that still gives access to the blood. So, sure does. You know, still weird. So the tape on the box that the vial was in was apparently cut, and there's blood between the stopper and the glass, and that can only happen if the stopper is taken out. Oh yeah, that makes sense. So it's like, hi, I think we just solved it.
0: And I'm just saying, watch the Netflix thing, whoa, whoa, whoa. Nine. Nine. At number nine is the Southside Strangler's DNA Evidence. Timothy Spencer, aka the Southside Strangler, was convicted of the rape and murder of four women in the late 80s around Richmond, Virginia. It's on the list because it's the first time ever that DNA evidence led to a murder conviction and death sentence in the US. Whew, I would say that's game changing. Definitely. Change the entire game. So DNA evidence was first used in a court case in 1988 in England to convict a double murderer. Wow. That's interesting. That is. In the U.S., genetic testing had been used in a few criminal and paternity cases, but this was the first murder trial to use DNA evidence. I can't imagine being, like, old enough to... Because at that point, I was like, what, like two and mm-hmm. or like three? And I can't imagine being old enough to like see this happening. Whoa, life is about to change. Like science just totally flipped on its ear. It yeah. was like, here you go, DNA. Spencer's trial began in Arlington, Virginia on July 11th, 1988. He was convicted and sentenced to death just five days later. Wow. The power of DNA evidence. Am I right? I knew you were going to say, am I right? Am I right? Am I right? <laughs> am I right? I'm right. Don't worry about it. Like we said, I'm right. No worries. Three different labs tested and confirmed that the semen found at all the crime scenes was Spencer's, Ooh. and he was sentenced to death. Goodbye, Spencer. Goodbye, Spencer. The LA Times reported scientists said the chance the semen could match someone else was one in, oh, 705 million. So, I mean, pretty, pretty sure it was Spence. <laughs> pretty good chance that it's him. Spencer was executed in 1994.
1: Wow. Eight. Number eight on our countdown of game-changing murder trial evidence, the ladder from the Lindbergh baby kidnapping and murder case in the 30s. Bruno Hauptmann was found guilty of kidnapping and murdering the young son of famed aviator Charles Lindbergh in March of 1932. It was a ladder left at the crime scene that led to the baby's room that sealed Hauptmann's fate. Some believe that he's innocent. This case is one of my favorite cases just because it is Crazy, it is bananas, and it's very sad. Oh, it's so sad. Some of the other evidence, other than just the latter, there was mud on the floor of the nursery. Oh, the nursery that's so creepy. There were footprints under the nursery window. Stop saying nursery. I know, I mean, they're both like useless, though. Yeah, so there was no blood or fingerprints found in or around the nursery, which is bonkers. And also, never find blood in the nursery. No, there were multiple ransom notes asking for more and more money, and the cash was tracked. Hauptmann was caught with marked bills. Oh. Well, so that'll seal your fate. <laughs> there you go. Now, the ladder dissected in a desperate search for clues. Houtman was a carpenter and tool marks left on it matched tools that he owned. Ooh. But then you think about back then, you're like, how great were we at matching? And also, how many tools even were yeah. there? <laughs> Everybody's like, oh, I have like seven of those. Yeah. One type of wood used to build the ladder was also found in Hauptman's attic. Okay, we're adding things up So now. it's like we're tallying the marks Yeah, here. we're seeing it happen. So the prosecutor said the ladder broke due to Houtman's weight. And carrying the child because oh. it's like weight and then baby weight. Oh, wait. he was carrying a baby. I know that's horrific. A physician testified the baby died of a fractured skull. That's terrible. Yeah, let me leave you on the worst note I possibly Hate can. It.
0: Seven. At number seven this week is Thomas Jennings' fingerprints. Way back in 1910, Jennings shot and killed Clarence Hiller. He fled from Hiller's home and unintentionally landed in the crime history books. Thomas Jennings became the first person in the U.S. ever convicted of murder based on fingerprint evidence. Ooh. What a way to end up in the history book. Yours is all sciency. I love it. It's like they know me. Makes sense. So Thomas Jennings broke into Clarence Hiller's home to rob it and ended up waking up the whole fam. Not good. Yeah, Hiller fought with Jennings and was shot and killed. Oh, man. Jennings was caught quickly about a half mile away. He was wearing a torn and bloodied coat and, oh, carrying a revolver. They call that a a smoking gun? Very casual. (laughs) (laughs) Police took the freshly painted railing Jennings used to hoist himself out the window as evidence. Which, like, smart thinking. I know, huh? They claimed it would prove the identity of the burglar. The jury focused on whether prints were repeated. Quote, whereas really what we need to know is can people match them accurately? And the answer is yes. A resounding huzzah. Yeet. (laughs) Prior cases in Britain and published studies were cited to lend credibility to fingerprinting during the appeals. It ended up working. His conviction was upheld. Good. See you later. Which is great. The ruling stated, quote, this method of identification is in such general and common use that the courts cannot refuse to take judicial cognizance of it. Huh. So fingerprints, guys.
1: Fingerprints. We all got them. (laughs) We do. I hope. Six. Also on our evidence list at number six, the knife from the Amanda Knox murder case. Amanda Knox was first convicted and then years later exonerated in the murder of her roommate, Meredith Kircher, in 2007. One piece of evidence that was debated most, a knife the prosecution argued, was the murder weapon. This case. This case is bonkers. It's like all of these cases, it's like, oh, this case. Oh (laughs) my gosh. So the knife was found in the home of Knox's then boyfriend, and the prosecutors argued it had her DNA on the handle and Kircher's on the blade. which it's like, I don't really know how you could mess that up. No, but the experts say they did. They say, that's not it. A leading forensics expert in Italy testified the knife would not have made the wounds on Kircher's body. Uh Uh-oh, so that's not the murder weapon, I guess. The prosecutors maintain just because the knife doesn't match everything, it doesn't mean it wasn't used. But it's like you could say that about literally everything in the world. Exactly. <laughs> and like also, anything was the murder record. I feel like that's exactly what it says. Yeah, that <laughs> like little Since bit. this doesn't match, no. That's how science works. But whatever works for you guys. Knox's supporters have said the prosecutor tried to force the evidence to fit his theory of what happened. And that's exactly <laughs> what it sounds like, like, like it. <laughs> to me. Kircher had never been to Solicito's apartment and wouldn't have come in contact with the knife, he said. Yet that was her DNA. Hmm. Weird. The defense had experts testify that the amount of DNA on the knife was too small to be definitive. Wow, (laughs) that's just a lot. A lot of info thrown right at you. I knew Amanda Knox was gonna be on here somewhere. I know, I'm surprised that she's up so high on the list. I know, but there's some biggies coming. What's coming? I know that there's one thing that's totally gonna be on this list. I hope there's one
0: that I don't have on mine, but it better be on yours or I'm gonna yell at the research gods. I don't know and I'm not gonna tell you. I think
1: it involves
0: a floppy disk.
1: A floppy disk? A floppy disk, I say. Mine includes winter apparel. Ooh, what could it be? I don't know. Let's see.
2: Hi, it's Vanessa from ParCast. They say there's someone for everyone. A soul to share your secrets with. A companion to grow old with. A conspirator to commit crimes with. Starting this February on Spotify, learn about the lethal and legendary lovers who fought the law in the ParCast Limited series Criminal Couples. If you've ever referred to your best friend or beloved as your partner in crime, this exclusive series is for you. Beginning February 1st, join me for a collection of unlawful love stories from shows across the ParCast network. Discover the extreme beliefs of cult leaders Tony and Susan Alamo, enter Fred and Rose West's real life house of horrors, and experience the madness and motives of the San Francisco witch killers fall for the most famous and feared pairs in history in the spotify original from podcast criminal couples enjoy two-part episodes every monday starting february 1st follow criminal couples free and exclusively on spotify
1: All right, let's jump back in with number five on our countdown of game-changing murder trial evidence. Starting off the second half of our list is
0: David Harris's testimony in the Randall Adams case. Many know the story from the Thin Blue Line documentary. Randall Adams was convicted of the 1976 murder of a police officer. But when filmmakers were making the documentary, The Thin Blue Line, a few years later, turns out the testimony that put him away and sentenced to death began to unravel. Uh Uh-oh. And sentenced to death. That's a big uh uh-oh. That's a big mistake. Huge. In November 1976, a police officer was shot and killed during a traffic stop. There was an investigation that led to 16-year-old David Ray Harris. Now, earlier that night, Harris picked up a stranger who had run out of gas, Randall Adams. Might sound familiar. Mm -hmm. The two apparently spent the day together drinking. When Harris was accused, he just went and blamed Randall Adams. Of course, who were you with, him? Him, he did That guy. Other witnesses corroborated the testimony and Randall Adams was convicted in 1977. Adams was sentenced to die by lethal injection before filmmakers uncovered evidence that pointed back then to the 16-year-old David Ray Harris. Of
1: course, I knew that was gonna happen. Went right on back. Witnesses had perjured themselves, which why did you do that? Why did you do that in a case of life or death? Do not
0: perjure yourself. No, Don't no. do it. It's never worth it. No. Randall Adams' statement he signed during an interrogation was misconstrued and basically everyone lied. Just wow. liars.
1: How could you go on with your life knowing yeah. that you lied and sentenced a man to death? Everyone lied like a liar. oh yes. John Mulaney quote has to be in there somewhere. Always. So the
0: truth did start to get out. Many Texans believed prosecutors didn't go after Harris because he was too young to be executed under Texas law, which makes a lot of sense. Oh, so you're just
1: going to go with the next best thing? Yeah, they're like, he's
0: too young. Let's get this old guy. (laughs) Let's just kill this guy. After the Thin Blue Line came out in 1988, David Ray Harris recanted his testimony without confessing. In 1989, Randall Adams became a free man. Oh, thank God. Then skip to 2004, David Ray Harris was actually convicted and executed
1: for another murder. Wow. Karma. Karma at its finest. Karma. She working. Four. Landing at number four this week is the floppy disk that serial killer Dennis Rader sent to the police thinking that they couldn't trace it. But down went BTK because of that move. Because he's Dennis. The dumbest of all. My goodness. Now Dennis Rader began killing as we all know in 1974 like terrorizing the Wichita area for decades. He was the worst. The absolute worst. worst. But then he just like disappeared in the early 90s. We wish. I know. He didn't disappear for good. Because in 2004, the Wichita Eagle newspaper wrote a story about him and they were like, oh, he's probably dead or like he ended up in jail. (laughs) They're like, screw that guy. He's probably dead. Yeah, exactly. Screw him. And he was like, screw you, Wichita Eagle. And then they were like, don't worry, we'll screw you back. Right. So while he sent a letter to them, needing attention, of course, because he's BTK. He's Dennis. And so begins the gameplay for him with the media for like a year. Oh, yeah. He loved attention. Now, in early 2005, Raider tells a Wichita TV station that he left a package at a Home Depot and the police found it in the trash. Inside are the plans for some murders. Oh, he's so extra. It's so extra. It's so lame. There was also a note. This is my favorite oh, note in existence. Best. Asking if he sent the police a floppy disk, could they trace it? And he also added in there, be honest. Scouts honor. Be honest, said BTK. He was a scout leader. So he was like, come on, scouts honor. Oh, so stupid. It said to place a classified ad in the paper with the message, Rex, it will be okay (laughs) if it was safe to send the disc. Now, of course, they were like, oh yeah, Rex, it's going to be okay. I need to know where that came from. Why Rex? Why
0: because I don't know <laughs> I at all. I need to know where his stupid brain came up with that. I
1: Honestly, I would not be shocked if it was just that he really liked the T-Rex dinosaur. I was going to say that he's just like really into dinosaurs. I think that's what it is. He should have been like Brontosaurus. It will be okay. So, of course, they were like, yeah, let's place that ad. Totally. It's all good, Rex. It'll be okay. February 16th, 2005, the floppy disk arrived at the TV station. Rex knew it would be okay. It's all good. And the police traced it to the Christ Lutheran Church. But they didn't see that coming. No, you were like, what? Excuse me? The church's website identified Dennis Rader as the president of the congregation in the world's most iconic twist. They could tell that he signed in and used that. Like it could be... Fully traced. I him.
0: also love that he did that fully. at church. Used his full name. Used his real name. Used his
1: church, like ID. His church computer. It's like, the best. It's
2: how ma chef's kiss Bye Dennis. Three.
0: Number three on our countdown of game-changing murder trial evidence is the Unabomber's entire cabin. The whole thing. (laughs) The whole thing. In 1998, Ted Kaczynski went to prison for life for murdering three people. While gathering evidence for the trial, the FBI actually moved his entire 10-foot by 12-foot cabin from its remote spot in Montana, (laughs) along with all of the pieces of evidence inside, which totaled around 700 individual items. You know I had no
1: idea that this happened. Oh, yeah. I had no idea. It was, like,
0: on display for a little while. It's definitely, like, unprecedented. They're just like, let's take the entire domicile. The cabin is a treasure trove of what Kaczynski's life and mindset was like inside this tiny little box in the woods. Oh, my worst nightmare. Real scary. The FBI's cabin evidence list includes a ton of unspecified documents, three typewriters, why do you need three, Uh, Like, you have a tiny little cabin. Why do you need three
1: typewriters? Because if you run out of ink, you just go to the next one and the next one, and then you change all the ink at once. You got to skim the fat, Ted. Like, stop (laughs) adding stuff into this little tiny space. Seriously.
0: It was also a list of corporate executives, but the FBI kept names secret. Yeah, you don't want to be doing that. I'd like to know. I know. (laughs) I want to know. The FBI list showed that he kept a bottle of prescription antidepressants, and depression is a central theme of the Unabomber's manifesto. That is true. They all have a manifest. I did know that. Yeah, that's one big thing about it. The Bomber goes on to describe the increased use of antidepressants as part of society's mind control attempts. And that's
1: where it gets a little weird. That's where it
0: goes a little bit off center. But you know what? Whatever. He wrote, quote, instead of removing the conditions that make people depressed, modern society gives them antidepressant drugs. Okay. Which, like, if he wasn't him, you'd be like, okay. Yeah. But then you put it. it together with everything else and you're like, no, Ted. That ain't it. No, Ted. They found the book Ice Brothers by Sloan Wilson, and in 1980, he sent a bomb to one of his targets, which was inside a copy of Ice Brothers. Oh, would you look at that? Isn't that interesting? Connections. Two checkbooks in Kaczynski's name were from an account he apparently kept at the Western Federal Savings Bank, and that was in there. Mm. And the bank has two branches in Helena, Montana, where Kaczynski was known to travel frequently, usually by
1: hitching a ride from a neighbor. Which, can you imagine being one of those neighbors? No, thank you. You're like, why'd I do that? Why was I living next to Mr. Ted Kaczynski? Don't help anyone. Don't be nice. I'm so glad my floppy disk was on there. I I was literally (laughs) just going to say so you got your floppy disk. I got it. I'm looking for my winter apparel. I don't know. I don't either. Is it going to come? You know. Nobody's ever going to know. I
0: don't know. Are you expecting anything else on the list? Honestly, I was so focused on Dennis Rader and his dumb being on this list (laughs) that
1: I didn't even think of anything else.
0: All right. I think we should get
1: back into it. Let's do it. Two. We're down to the final two spots on our countdown of game changing murder trial evidence. At number two is the Subruder film. Oh, you know? It's the clearest existing footage of the JFK assassination which was used during the Clay Shaw trial in 1969. Clay Shaw was a businessman who was tried as a co-conspirator to Lee Harvey Oswald. The pivotal piece of evidence, the Zapruder film, ended up stealing the spotlight at trial but ultimately failed to bring closure to a nation who just wanted justice. Why did I not think of this as one of the things? You know I didn't either and then I got to the end and I was like, "Oh yeah." i like, "Oh, Zapruder." So the Major point prosecutors tried to make, supported by various ballistics experts, was to prove a triangulation of gunfire. Makes sense. Which I was going to say, it makes sense. I'm a various ballistic expert. Of course you are. Obviously. Now, they wanted the jury and the world to believe there was more than one shooter based on the bodily reactions of JFK when he was shot. Because remember, strange. he lurches forward, right? Yeah. It's weird. So the Zapruder film was the most vivid footage of the assassination they had, including the infamous frame 313, which actually shows the kill shot.
0: It is such a heavy film.
1: I can't watch see it. I never that have. one clip. Yeah, I don't want to see it. Oof. Clay Shaw was implicated by rumors, assumptions, his association with various characters in New Orleans that loosely led to Oswald. It was basically just hearsay. Yeah. They were like, you know, I think he did it. Maybe. So Shaw admitted that he had seen Oswald distributing political leaflets once in New Orleans, but that's really the only connection they had. Not huge. Not at all. During Shaw's trial, prosecutors were so focused on confirming their multiple shooter theory that Clay Shaw was kind of an afterthought. Yeah. At his own trial. <laughs> Look at that. It's a little weird. He was acquitted when the verdict of not guilty was read. There was a victorious uproar in the courtroom. Wow. People were like, yo. I didn't know that. I know. Or maybe they were like, no. (laughs) I don't really know. I wasn't there. Frame 313 was supposed to change American history and bring justice to the death of an American president, but it did not. It didn't? No. One.
0: And that brings us to number one on our countdown of the top 10 pieces of game-changing murder trial evidence. The bloody gloves (gasps) from the 1995 O.J. Simpson trial. My
1: winter apparel (laughs) has arrived! Is that your outerwear that you were thinking of?
0: In one of the most memorable moments of one of the most memorable murder trials of all time, O.J. Simpson tried on a pair of gloves said to be worn by the killer. The gloves did not fit, which may have led the jury to acquit. One glove was found at the crime scene where Simpson's ex-wife Nicole and her friend Ronald Goldman were found murdered. The other, apparently matching glove, was found at OJ's house. Ruh-roh. How'd that happen? Prosecutor Christopher Darden asked OJ to try on the gloves live during the televised trial, and they appeared to be too small. Mm Mm-hmm. Darden claims OJ was a better actor than he thought he was and made it seem like they didn't fit. Either way, it was pivotal in terms of opinion. I remember this vividly. I think I was in like fourth grade. Were you? Yeah. So I was alive. No, I wasn't alive. <laughs> you were not. It was no. 1995. But either way, I remember this. I remember seeing it on television. That must have been really cool. And I remember seeing him like hold up his hand and be like, mm-hmm. and you were like, you're not even pulling that onto your hand." Well, that's <laughs> the thing. And then
1: he had gloves on underneath. Didn't it was he? just, yeah,
0: because you, you don't want to buy the up. evidence. Yeah, it was insane. Johnny Cochran, OJ's defense attorney, came up with his now-famous courtroom argument. Do you know it? I do. If it doesn't fit, you You must must acquit. Later, it was discovered that OJ was taking arthritic medication for his hands and allegedly was told that if he stops taking the meds, his hands would swell. Aha. Huh. Look at that. Robert Shapiro, OJ's lawyer, revealed he tried on the gloves during the trial and knew they wouldn't fit based on the size of OJ's hands. In 2012, Darden accused defense lawyer, the late Johnny Cochran, of manipulating the gloves and possibly tampering with evidence. I might believe that. There's many reasons, like, that you can see that he's not pulling it on his hand when you can see it. But also, you could wear small gloves and still do the job
1: yeah easily they don't have to fit perfectly no that's stupid you just don't saying. have to acquit if the glove does not fit. just saying so obviously we agree with the podcast research gods today Number one is number one. It's right there. It's right there. I knew that you must have had it, but you were acting like you didn't. I know. And I'm such a good actor. And I was kind of excited to be like, you guys forgot OJ? What?
0: (laughs) I'm as good an actor as OJ Simpson pulling on the glove. I guess so. Look at me. Look at you, honey. And of course... Floppy Disc had to be there. Floppy Disc Dennis. Oh, yeah. I was waiting for that. You know. And I was happy to see Amanda Knox on there Mm -hmm. because that's a case that is rife with craziness. Yes. Uh, The Lindbergh baby one, I was pretty shocked to see because I didn't even think of it.
1: I know. Actually, I didn't think of that either. But then I was like, "Eh, it actually makes a lot of sense. But
2: it's
0: such an infamous case. And then, of course, the fact that I did not even think of the Sapruder film. I know. Like I said, I didn't either. It makes me question myself a little bit. So good job, Parcast Research
1: God. Killing it. You nailed it. Well, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another great episode.
0: Remember to follow Crime Countdown on Spotify to get a brand
1: new episode delivered every week. You can find all episodes of Crime Countdown and all other podcast shows for free on Spotify. Spotify has all your favorite music and podcasts all in one place. They're making it easier to listen to whatever you want to hear for free on your phone, computer, or smart speaker.
0: And if you can't get enough of these creepy crimes, check out our After Crime Countdown podcast playlist on Spotify, where we've handpicked even
1: more episodes about this week's stories that we think you'll enjoy. And if you like this show, follow at Parcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Parcast network on Twitter.
0: And if you like us, which hello, you're still here. We like you right back. You You can follow us on our other podcast, Morbid, a true crime podcast. You can find us on Instagram
1: at Morbid Podcast or on Twitter at Amorbid Podcast. We hope that you keep listening and we'll see you next Monday. See ya. Keep it weird. Crime
0: Countdown is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler. Sound design by Kristen Acevedo with associate sound design by Kevin McAlpine. Produced by John Cohen and associate produced by Jonathan Ratliff. Fact-checking by Anya Baerley. Research by Ambika Chotera, Jay Cahio, and Mickey Taylor. Crime Countdown stars Ash Kelly and Elena Urquhart.
2: Hi, it's Vanessa again. Before you go, don't forget to check out the new ParCast limited series Criminal Couples. From apocalyptic cult leaders to bank-robbing bandits to married mafiosos, these couples give new meaning to Till Death Do Us Part. Enjoy two-part episodes every Monday starting February 1st. Follow Criminal Couples free and exclusively on Spotify.